Last week we, we looked at, anybody remember? Justification. Justification. Can you guess where we were going this week? I kind of gave you a heads up on it. Um, you got it? Redemption. Redemption. And what's next week? Let's uh, see if you can pronounce it. <laughs> Propitiation. Yeah. These are, these are words that we use every day in our language. Like I've, I used redeem five times this morning. No, I, I don't. We, but like these, these words, we don't use them in society, in regular culture. And that's not to say that we shouldn't be using these terms. What we're doing with this is we want to understand these terms. We want to understand what it really means to be justified, what justification means. Today we want to look at what, is it, what does redemption mean? What does it mean for us to be redeemed? And the reason that we need to understand these is because there's a world out there that does not believe in Christ the way that we do, and they're wondering why we believe, what we believe. And these words, justification, redemption, and propitiation, are foundational to our faith in Christ, to our life in God. And because it's foundational, we need to understand it so we can explain it. Because if we just throw out redemption, ah, I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Like, just try to put yourself in, in the shoes of an unbeliever. And they're like, hey, how you doing today? And that response is, I've been redeemed. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? What, is, what does that mean? And if you think that this hasn't happened, I've grown up in the church world. I remember asking people these questions like, hey, how you doing? I've been redeemed. Like, well, you're weird. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I, I was looking for a good or bad. I mean, that's what I was looking for. I wasn't looking for redeemed. I mean, and, and we still do it. Don't say that you don't do it. I know you guys do it because I get up here most Sunday mornings. I'm like, how y'all doing? And I hear blessed and highly favored. It's like, if you say that out in the real world, people are going to look at you like you're off your rockers. Like you've lost your marbles. They're like, what are you talking about? Blessed and highly favored. What does that mean? Now, if you don't understand what it means and you're just saying it, that's the problem. We need to understand these things. There's nothing wrong with saying blessed and highly favored. There's nothing wrong with saying I've been redeemed, especially if you have been. But what does that mean? That's what we're looking at over these next few weeks. And redeemed is what we're looking at today. And the reason we need to understand this, again, is because this is foundational. It is a central truth to our lives in Christ. I want to pull up the passage that we started with last week so you can see where we're going with this and why I put these in this order. And so we're looking at Romans chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because his forbearance, God passed over the sins that were previously committed. We're looking at the second one there in verse 24. We're looking at redemption. And the reason we need to understand this is because of the role that it takes in our life. Redemption is this word that carries 
a huge concept with it. Like a huge concept, and yet we can try to be cute and and condense it, and typically when I talk about redeemed, if somebody asks me what it means, I'm like, well, to redeem something is to buy it back. And while that's true, that's not even the fullness of it. Now, I think about buying something back, which is true. I don't like getting rid of something if I think I'm going to want to buy it back, because I know that if I have to buy it back, the price is going to be so much more. Like I, I've had collectibles that I've that I've saved over the years and get hard up for money and you you sell it and then to regret it and it's like oh, I got rid of it I want to buy it back and you it never fails the person you sold it to they jack the price way up why supply and demand and you're demanding it and they've got the only supply so they can make whatever they want on it it's like I got a truck that. It needs some work on it, and I keep thinking, ah, maybe I should just sell it instead of fixing it. And then every time I think about selling it, I think about the last truck that I had that I sold it, and I've regretted selling it, and I could never get it back. And it's like, maybe I won't sell it because then I'm going to have to buy it back, or I'm going to have to buy another one, and it's going to be so much more expensive then. Just wait and get it fixed up. So to buy back, while it's true, it's not the fullness of it. See, that word redemption in the Greek is, is this Greek word that is apolutrosis. And it comes from two different Greeks words, apo and lutron. Apo is really just talking about this distance that there is and, and getting this separation from something. And where lutron is really talking about a price that is paid for something. It's really specifically talking about a price or a ransom that is paid to set something free. And so when you think about the distance that we're trying to get that is caused by a setting of something free and a price that has been paid, what redemption is really talking about is a ransom that is paid to get us free from the bondage that we're in. It's being ransomed from bondage. Now here's where we get into the weeds of some things because then you get people thinking, well, bondage, are we talking about slavery? Absolutely. Absolutely we're talking about slavery. And see, in this country, in this nation, in the United States of America, when we talk about slavery, we instantly think in our minds and we go right back to the foundation of this country. And we talk about the slave trade and the slave markets and, and how people owned slaves. And that's how they were basically running their farms. They were running things by slave labor. And what they would do is they would go to the slave market and they would pay a price to get that slave. And then that slave became the property of them and they could do whatever they want. And as we start to follow some of that, that American history and with the slave history that we have, we see what wound up happening later was there were people that were buying slaves off the slave market just to set them free. See, that's the type of history that we can see inside our Christianity. But for us, especially those of us who look at the pigment of our skin, or rather the lack of pigment of our skin, and we say, I'm white. I don't know 
what it means to be a slave. I don't have grandparents, great-grandparents. I don't have family journals that have been passed down talking about how my family were slaves and what life was like as a slave. I, I don't have that. And so there often is this disconnect with some of us. But that disconnect comes because we look at things through our human eyes rather than looking at things through God's eyes. Because the fact of the matter is that each and every human being that has ever lived on this earth has been a slave. Every single one has been a slave and we have been a slave to sin. You don't believe it? Look at Romans 3.23 just before this. And Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned. But then what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 34, answering people, he says, most assuredly, this is a solemn truth. It's as true as it's ever going to get. He's, he's giving straight facts right here. I say to you that whoever commits a sin is a slave of sin. Every single one of us has been a slave of sin, a slave to sin. Every single one. But this is where we have to start thanking God. Because even though we have been slaves to sin, He put in a plan of redemption. He put in a plan to buy us, to ransom us from the slave market controlled by sin so that we could be set free from that bondage. I thank God for this because that's what he's done for each and every one of us. See, this is this concept of redemption. And what I want us to do today is I want us to look at this one simple verse that we find in Ephesians 1.7. And what we're going to see in this is the plan of redemption, the price of redemption, the pardon of redemption, and the provision of redemption. And so if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. I want you in there because I'm probably going to bounce up a little bit. If you don't have your Bibles with you, I hope you got a good memory and you can remember what this message is about. But we'll get you covered and we'll make sure to pull these up on the uh, screen as well. Ephesians chapter 1 is what we're looking at. In Ephesians 1.7, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. In Him. In Him we have redemption. In Him we have redemption. Who is the Him? Paul tells us. If you, if you jump up there and you look at verse 3, what we see is, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. The in Him of 1-7 is Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. 
When verse 7 says, in him we have redemption. In Jesus Christ, we have redemption. In our Lord, we have redemption. That's where we have redemption. But this redemption, as we see there in 1.3, it didn't just start with him. This wasn't just in the work of Christ. This began from the will of God. It began from the very will of God. This is the thing that is, is the brilliance of our lives in Christ. We, we briefly talked about this last week, how here God has this plan. He wants humanity to be his family. God wants to create men and women in his image and likeness so that he can have a family, so that he can have relation with us. He wanted children. And yet he knew that he couldn't make children robots. He had to give them free will. And that free will meant that they had the will to either love him or to reject him. They had the will to obey him or deny him. They had the will to love him or hate him. And we may say that hate is a strong word and I've never really hated God even when I wasn't a Christian. And yet all we're doing is lying to ourselves. Because the fact that we reject him and we push him away and that we try to be gods of our own life, that is hating God. And yet, even though we did that, God, when he creates humanity, realizes they may hate me. They may reject me. They may turn away from me. They may not want me. And if they don't, they're going to be separating themselves from me and the only path for them is death and destruction. But I love them so much, I'm going to give them an out. I'm going to create a plan. I'm going to put a plan in place. And here's the brilliance that God knew that we had the ability in us, the will in us to reject him and he put a plan in place from the very beginning. From the very beginning, he saw the writing on the wall and he's like, oh, I got a plan. I got a plan because if they go down this path, I'm going to have a plan to pull them out of that path. And I'm telling you, this is from the very beginning. From the moment that Adam and Eve sinned, God starts to show his hand. He starts to show his plan. And most of us don't see it. Most of us don't recognize what was happening. But it was right there in Genesis 3. Look at Genesis 3, verse 15. God says to the serpent, right after the fall, right after Adam and Eve sinned, God says to the serpent, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. And then in verse 16, look at this one. To the woman, he says, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for you to rule your husband, and he shall rule over you. And then it talks to the man in the next verse, and it talks about how that men is going to be cursed, and he's going to be working with his hands and toiling all his life. This is the original curse that happens. It's a curse that comes to humanity, and it's a curse that comes to Satan. And God talks about this, but, but look in. Actually, look in on verse 15. Pull this up, Nancy. Look in here on verse 15. Some translations miss this. Some translations miss this and they don't catch it. And here in the New King James Version, there is a subtle emphasis put right here 
on a capital H and a capital S. Do you notice it says her seed? Females don't have seeds. They don't have seeds. Males have the seed. How is it that she has a seed? <laughs> this is God tipping his hand. He is showing it's going to be her seed because there will be a seed in her that she didn't produce herself and no man produced. This is God tipping his hand to the immaculate conception of Jesus Christ. How Mary, being a virgin, was still pregnant. She had a seed in her. That became her seed. The only one. And God saying to the serpent, guess what's going to happen? He, this seed, is going to bruise your head. And you will only bruise his heel. That's God's way of saying, guess what? He is going to dominate you and you are going to be under his feet. This is where God starts to put this plan in place. God's starting to just reveal little bits to try to bring humanity back to him. Putting in this plan of redemption. We go on and we see through this story of Genesis how for a sin offering basically to atone, which means to either cover up or kind of wash away our sins, what had to happen was a sacrifice of blood. And it came from really lambs. And that's how God is saying it. You see the very first animal sacrifice happen with Adam and Eve when they wind up taking animal skins to wear and cover themselves up and to cover that nakedness. And this goes on and on. Every time there was a sacrifice, it had to be an animal sacrifice. There had to be a shedding of blood. And yet God continues to tip his hand for this plan of redemption. And he does so in the story that we've seen with, with Abraham and his son Isaac and how they're going up to this mountain. And, and Abraham's supposed to put Isaac up as the offering. And, and all of a sudden, Isaac's like, uh, Dad, where's the offering? Where's the lamb at? And in Genesis 2.28, Abraham says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb. Now, I love this because most people will read that and they're like, Oh, well, what happens next? There's a, a lamb over in the thicket. It's in the bushes and they grab that and they use that. Ah, oh, man, we're just, we're seeing things on a surface level if that's all you've seen. If you can't see God's plan of redemption in this, where it says God will provide himself a lamb. God is providing himself a lamb. As in Jesus Christ, the lamb who was slain. He provided himself the lamb. This plan of redemption was the very will of God. When we see that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, that it's in him we have redemption. Yes, in him we have redemption. But that in him only came because of the will of God. The only way the work of Christ ever came about was that God had to will it first. Because what we see time and time again through Jesus is he only did the will of the Father. This plan of redemption came from the Father, the one who created us. The one who loved us. The one who wanted a family with us. 
He had the plan because he knew we would reject him and yet he wanted us to accept him. And the only way that was going to happen is for us to be redeemed, for us to be bought off the slave market, for us to be set free from sin. And yes, this came through a work of Christ. It was in him. Galatians 1.4 says this, in Galatians 1.4, it reads, who gave himself, this is Jesus, gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father. Jesus, Jesus gave himself. Jesus gave himself up, willingly gave himself up for our sins because we were slave to those sins. And he gives himself up. His work on the cross redeemed us. So when we're looking at this, the plan of redemption, it came from the will of God and the work of Christ. But that work of Christ, it required a payment. Ephesians 1.7, go back there and look at this. It says, in him, we have redemption. That's the plan. But look at the payment. It is through his blood. See, as I talked about this, that God's required those animal sacrifices. And sure, PETA may not like it. Animal activists, they can hate it all they want. It doesn't matter. They're not God. This is the plan that God put in place. This is the way that he wanted things done. He's the only one that is holy. He's the creator of all. So guess what? He gets to make the rules. And these are the rules that he came up with. See, redemption always demands a price. And the only way for a slave to find freedom is for somebody to make a payment for them. And as I mentioned... Oftentimes, that payment, what it means is that if I were to buy a slave, that slave is now my property. I can do what I want with it because it belongs to me. My options are to either enslave it or set it free. That was the option. But it requires a payment. Every time it requires a payment. See, this is something that I think oftentimes we miss. We miss. We talk about freedom. And in, in the very word freedom, we see free and we're like, well, freedom is free. No, it's free for you and me, but it's not free for the one who paid the price. Freedom was not free for Jesus. Freedom was not free for our Father, God. Jesus had to pay the price of his life. It says it's through his blood. He had to shed his blood for us. The father had to lose his only begotten son for us. That was the price that we had to pay. And that shedding of the blood, that was the only price that could be paid. It was the only price that could be paid. Oh, well, couldn't he have paid something else? No. 
We see that last week. We see what Romans 6.23 says. The wages of sin is death. That means the only price that you can pay for sin is death. Our ransom was death. You want to be free from sin? Death. That's the required payment. That's the required payment. I love how it says this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to read this for you real quick. It says, If you call on the Father who gives, or who without partiality, judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay here in fear. I love that because it's like, hey, if you actually call on the Father, in other words, if you're a Christian who calls out to him for help, how about you act like you're a Christian who calls out for him for help? Just act like it. Love this because it says, here's why you want to act like it. Verse 18, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know why we ought to act like we're actually redeemed? Because we have been redeemed and because we've been redeemed by his blood. The ransom that was paid was his blood. He had to shed his blood. He had to die. That was the price. The, the freedom from our sin demanded death, demanded a bloodshed that led to death. And there was one who paid it for us. It was either going to be you or it was going to be him. It was either going to be me or it was going to be him. One of us was going to have to die. Thank God it wasn't me. Thank God I don't deserve that. What have I ever done to deserve that? What have I ever done to earn that? Oh, well, you know what? I showed up on Sunday mornings. I deserve to be free from my sin. Oh, you know what? I got dunked in the water. I was baptized. I deserve to be set free. No. Our works could never do it. It doesn't matter how many times you get dunked. It doesn't matter what you were dunked into. It doesn't matter how you were dunked. It doesn't matter if you were dunked or somebody just flicked some water on your forehead. That wouldn't do it no matter what. Doesn't matter if you attend church or not. Doesn't matter if you're a member of a church or not. Doesn't matter if you read your Bible or not. None of that stuff, which may be good works, none of that would ever be the price. The only price that could buy us back from our slavery to sin is death. And Jesus paid that price. Jesus paid the price. The plan was in place. The price has been paid. And here's where the pardon comes in. And we see this in Ephesians 1.7. It says, in him we have redemption, that in him is the plan. Through his blood, there's the price. And what is the pardon? Forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. That's the pardon. The price was paid and we would be pardoned. You see, the thing is, is that there's this big curse that, that overtook us that we talk about in Genesis. So many things that would curse us. All of a sudden, the bodies, these, these vessels that we have, 
these, these, these bodies, you know, these things that's flesh and bones, these earthly meat suits that we have, these things do not operate the way that God had originally created them because of the curse. I think we've, we've probably realized the curse even more so in the last couple years. Call it COVID all you want. I'm calling it the curse. You can call the flu the curse. Call a common cold the curse. Because it is. That's not how God designed it. He didn't design our bodies to fail. He designed our bodies to worship Him. And yet, unfortunately, this sickness that comes upon us, the illness that comes upon us, the decay of these bodies that comes upon us is part of that curse. They just start to deteriorate. It's like from the moment we're born, all of a sudden, these cells start dying off. I mean, yeah, we keep producing them for some years, and eventually it catches up, and we're not producing as fast as they're dying off, and well, guess what? We're out of here, and we're into the next place. But that sickness and that disease, even with the price, we're also pardoned from that. We look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. It says, who himself, you should catch who this himself is again. It's Jesus if you didn't know. You can go back and check out 1 Peter and you'll see it. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. See, that healing, I think what oftentimes happens with so many of us is we see that healing and we're like, oh, well, that's the spiritual healing. Yes, but God didn't come to redeem just one part of us. He didn't come to just redeem our hearts. He came to redeem our minds and he came to redeem our bodies. Can you, can you imagine when, when there are Christians, and this just this infuriates me, like it aggravates me because we don't understand the price that was paid and what he meant to pay it for. When there are Christians that say, well, I believe in healing, but I mean, like spiritual healing and, and maybe some mental healing, emotional healing. I believe God can heal that way, but a physical healing I mean, come on, we, we got bodies. They just, they do that. They get sick. <laughs> and it infuriates me that we would say that. That would be like me going to the slave market and saying, hey, I'm going to pay the price for that slave right there. But hey, slave, I just want you to know that I am freeing your heart and your mind, but your body's still going to be at, at work. You still get to till those fields. You still get to pick that cotton. You still get to clean... Do, do we realize how ridiculous that would be? Why do we think that's what God did with us? No, he wants to heal every part of our body. The problem then becomes in healing and how we are healed, and this is a whole other message, but God heals multiple different ways. He heals miraculously, he heals medically, and he heals naturally. And you can see that throughout scriptures. Old Testament talks time and time again. When you come into a camp and there's this illness, this is what you're supposed to do. 
hey, if you have these symptoms, take these different things, use them as an ointment and put it on the womb. That is medical healing, people. And if you didn't realize that God heals naturally, have you ever got a paper cut and you didn't do anything to it and all of a sudden, wow, it stopped bleeding on its own. <gasps> Nature took course and clotted the blood and all of a sudden the skin closed itself and then it created this scar to make sure that the wound was healed. <gasps> natural healing. And yes, God still performs miraculous healings. When the natural can't take it and the medical doesn't cover it, you best believe that God paid the price and the pardon was our healing spirit, soul, and body. He wants us completely free from that curse. That's what he wants. So he had this plan. He paid the price. There was this pardon. And then comes the provision. Then comes the provision. And we look back at Ephesians 1.7. In him, the plan. We have been redeemed through his blood, the price. The forgiveness of sins is the pardon according to the riches of his grace is the provision. Because this is what gets even better. The riches of his grace, that grace that abounds, the grace that just keeps on giving, the grace that didn't stop. And yes, as Ephesians 2.8 talks, that how we have been saved by grace through faith, that's not of our works, lest any one of us could brag and boast about it, but it's the gift of God. Yes, that happens, but this, that grace, it just keeps on giving. It just keeps on giving. God's grace doesn't stop. He wants to keep giving it, and it is rich, and it is for our lives. It is for our lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. It says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that through His poverty you might become rich. What Jesus did was he traded places with us. He traded places with each and every one of us. He paid the price. He took the punishment. And he made the provision. And in doing that, he's, we're, what we're essentially saying is he had it all. Jesus had it all. And he gave it all up to us. What did we have? A death sentence. What did he have? An abundant, eternal life. And Jesus comes onto the stage and he says, I'll trade you. <laughs> we would be idiots not to take that trade. Not to take that. Well, no, I want to I hold on to my death sentence. You can't have it, Jesus. Jesus is like, I've got it all. I've, I've got it all. Beginning with a relationship with my Father that nobody can touch and there's nothing that can separate me from Him. I have that. And then not only that, every single need that I would have, He takes care of. 
Not only for me, but then he allows me and he helps me and he equips me so I can give more away to other people. That's the life that I have and, I, and I'm, I'm willing to trade it. That's what Jesus was putting the offering on. Trading us his life for ours. And it's by his grace. You see, that redemption was not just coming onto the slave market. God looking at sin and saying, hey, I'm going to pay the price for them. And then grabbing us and being like, all right, you're free. You're off on your own. Just, just go wander around. Do whatever you feel like. He didn't do that. Our American history, that's often what happened. All right, I paid the price to get you off the slave market, to get you away from your previous master, but now you're on your own. Just don't go back there. It might not be good for you. But go wherever you feel like. You're on your own. You're free. I mean, that's great. But that's not what God did. God walks up and he's like, hey, I, I bought you. I paid the ultimate price. I got you off the slave market and you're free. But I can help you. I can guide you. I can work with you. And I will provide everything for you. I'll provide it all. The only thing it requires from you is to put your faith in me. Trust me. God is saying, he is God and we are not. The plan, the price, the pardon, the provision was all in redemption. See, we need to understand what redemption is. Somebody ever asked me, hey, how you doing? If I ever respond with, ah, I'm redeemed. I mean, one, that would be weird. But if I did... I at least know how to explain their question and answer their question of redeemed. What does that mean? <laughs> Let me tell you. Let me tell you. See, that's why we want to understand these Christian terms. What I would encourage you guys to do this week is to look at Ephesians 1.7. Read it over. I mean, that's, that's a short verse. You got a dozen words in there. Just read it. Read it. And see God's plan. See the price Jesus paid. See the pardon that we have from our sins. And see the provision that we now have through His grace. See that. Understand that. And get what redemption means. That we have been ransomed from slavery to sin. Let's pray.